Parshas Vayakel, three roads to greatness. In the ancient days of our nation, a very big event took place every year, which attracted a great deal of attention, and that was the collection of the Machatzita Shekel. Today, we still have a small zecher of those bygone days. We remember what used to be by reading a special sedra on Shabbos Shekolim. We give a half dollar to a tzedakah fund before Purim. We do different things. But in our early days, the gathering of the Machatzita Shekel and bringing it to Yerushalayim was much bigger than that. Our Chachamim tell us that Be'echad Be'odor Mashmin al HaShikolim On Rosh Chodesh Adar, they began to make announcements reminding everyone that it is the time to bring in the Machatzita Shekel. Everywhere, in all of the places where the Am Yisrael dwelt, there were commissions set up, officials and gaboyim for the purpose of collecting the half shekel from every Jew. And although it was only a half shekel, but because it was an obligation on every Jew, very large sums of money were collected. All over Eretz Yisrael and Bavel, and wherever Jews lived, bucketfuls and trugfuls of half shekels were collected. And finally, the money was gathered together and sent to Yerushalayim, to the Beis HaMikdash. It was a very big affair every year, a tremendous scene to behold. There was a large convoy of about 10,000 people who came from Babel, besides others who joined as the convoy passed their locales. All those who wanted to come to Eretz Yisrael to study Torah utilized the opportunity, and they came along too. Also, all the Mesim that died in Babel and wanted to be buried in Eretz Yisrael were now exhumed, and the bodies were carried with this convoy. They had with them groups of armed soldiers who made treaties with the kings and governors whose lands they passed through. This was so that they should have the privilege to pass through unhindered and have the right to collect machatzita shekel from the local Jews without having to pay taxes. And as they converged upon Yerushalayim from all sides of the Golos, it had a very big effect on all the Jewish communities they passed. Everybody, wherever he was, knew that it was his duty to contribute. The entire nation participated in the avoid of the Beis Amikdash with this money. And it was with the half-shekels of Abba in Pumbadisa and Hanina in Brak and Chizda in Neharda, with the half-shekels of all the Jews everywhere, that the Korbana Sibur, the community sacrifices were purchased. And that's how the entire nation participated in the Avoidas Beis Hamigdash. Just like when the Mishkan was erected in the wilderness, everybody took part by means of an obligatory contribution of Machatzita Shekel. That's how it remained always. That's what the Machatzita Shekel means. It represents the obligations of a Jew by means of which we become Hashem's people. All of the people participated, and that's how they were counted as B'nai Yisroel. Of course, it represents all of our obligations, everything, not only the half shekel. It means tefillin, and Shabbos, and Sneas. It means libudatoida, and eating matzah. It means shatnes, and birkasamozon. It's the whole shulchan aruch, fulfilling all of those minimum obligations. That's what makes you part of the Am Yisroel. Now, what does it mean to be part of the Klal Yisroel? It means everything. It's not like the Pole says, he's so happy to be a Pole. Or the black man says, we are so proud that we are black. 
Now, I have nothing against them for being proud. I think it's good to be loyal to your people. Let the blacks be proud. Let the Poles be proud. Gesundheit. But what is it really after all? Not much. It means they're proud to be a member of one of the Mishpichos Adama, the nations who live for this world. Because the nations of the earth live only for now. And then they go down into the soil and are forgotten forever. But when we say we are proud to be part of the Jewish people, we mean much more than that. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to us that we are living for a different place. When the B'nai Yisrael accepted the Torah, from now on, they are not of this world. They are forever. When you do a mitzvah, you are investing in eternity. You are a person that is forever. You are part of the Am Oilam. Not only you live forever in this world. You're a nation that will forever exist. A nation that will live forever in the world to come. Membership in the Klal Yisrael entitles you to the most important thing you could imagine. Kol Yisrael chelek haba. Every Yisrael has a portion in the world to come. Now, we note that it doesn't say kol tzadikim. Maybe only tzadikim should get oilam haba. No, it says kol Yisrael. It means that the world to come is the very great reward even to every Jew who keeps the Torah. That's what it means, kol Yisrael. Every Jew who fulfills the basic Torah obligations is guaranteed a ticket to oilam haba. And just like a person who fulfilled the minimum obligation of giving half shekel was guaranteed a share in the Mishkan, so too, by means of the obligatory performance of all the mitzvahs, a person acquires a share in the eternal Mishkan of the afterlife. If you want a portion of whatever our nation is promised, that's the minimum you have to do. We should keep that in mind always, that by participating, by fulfilling our basic obligations, we're not merely doing mitzvahs. We're not merely Orthodox Jews. What it means, kapashuto, is that we're gaining a ticket to Oilem Haba. That's our zchus. Because we belong to that great nation of those who follow the Dvar Hashem, the Shas, the Rishonim, the Shulchan Aruch. Because we have a Torah. And we have to fulfill it. That's the way we merit eternal life. And so, Kol Yisrael, everyone is promised a chilek in Olam Haba because everyone participates in everything. In ancient times, everybody kept the letter of the Torah. Up until recently, even in our memory, that is the memory of our grandparents. In European communities up until the 1870s, everybody kept everything, except in Germany, certain parts of Austria, Italy. Otherwise, in Poland and in Russia, where the masses of Jews lived, they kept the entire Torah. Everybody put on tefillin. Everybody fasted on Shiva Sarbatamuz. Everybody washed Nagel Vasir when they got up in the morning. Everybody had a basin with a pitcher of water near his bed. Everybody. It was remarkable. That's how it used to be. No Jew would leave his bed if something happened to the Nagel Vasir in the morning. He would ask, where's the water? They had to bring the water before he could get out of bed. They used to say that if you want to catch a Jewish thief, so when he's asleep, take away his Nagel Vasser. When he gets up in the morning, he can't leave his bed because a Jew without a Nagel Vasser doesn't leave his bed. I told you once about Warsaw. In Warsaw, the pickpockets had long beards and capoites. 
the crooks were from Jews. There was nothing else you could do in those days. There was no possibility of not being an Orthodox Jew. A Jew wouldn't walk Dalit Amos with his head uncovered once upon a time. You couldn't find it. Every detail of Jewish life, once upon a time, was fulfilled. Of course, there were many who went beyond the line of duty too. Everybody knows the famous story of the golden Oroise, who was once sentenced for some reason in the Middle Ages. In the late Middle Ages, she was sentenced by the Gentiles to be put to death. A woman, and she was tied to the tail of a wild horse, who was supposed to be driven into a fast run, dragging her on to death. So before they did that, she asked for one favor. She asked for a pin, a well-known story, a true story. They gave her a pin, the last request, and she pinned her skirt to her feet, to her skin. She pinned her dress to her skin so the dress should be kept down as she would be dragged. It's a famous story. The Golden Rose. That's what they called her. The Golden Rose. And there are a thousand more stories like that. But that wasn't the minimum Machatzita Shekel. It was above and beyond. It was glorious, but even the most simple Jew, the simple tailor and shoemaker, the mother raising her children, the masses of Am Yisrael lived gloriously and acquired a share in Oilam Haba because they lived by habit, by the good habits of Torah and Mitzvahs. That's how we lived in all the generations, and that's how we continue to live today. We follow the beaten path of fulfilling everything. You know... Somebody once wrote a history, and he said when Rav Yosef Karo came along and made a Shulchan Aruch, he put the Jewish nation into a straitjacket from now on. Up until Rav Yosef Karo, there was not one Sefer that told you everything you had to do. But today, you open up a Sefer, look in the table of contents, this Simon, that Sif, and you know what to do in this and that case. You can look it up. To a very great extent, our course in life is delineated. And so this writer, he wasn't the big Sadiq, by the way. He was complaining that the Shulchan Aruch put us into a straitjacket. But we say, Baruch Hashem, we need a straitjacket. Otherwise, we would be crooked. Better a straitjacket than a crooked jacket. That's our ticket to the next world. And because we follow the Shulchan Aruch, we all earned our ticket. If a Jew is a Shomer Mitzvah, if he tries to keep the Mitzvah, then he is ours. I don't care what kind of yarmulke he wears. If he wears a knitted yarmulke, or if he wears something else, he's traveling along with us. A person who keeps Taharat HaMishpacha, family purity, he eats kosher, he sends his children to yeshiva and not public school. He's a Shomer Shabbos, he has mezuzahs on his doors. A person like that, is walking with us to Oilam Haba. That's how the masses of our people traverse the same path together towards Oilam Haba. Just like the march of the Machatzit Shekel to Yerushalayim meant they were marching together with the whole nation. In every generation, by following that pattern of fulfilling the basic obligations of the Torah, that's how the throngs of our people are marching towards their destiny in Oilam Haba. Now, as simple as all this sounds, it's interesting to note that among our sages of old, it was not considered a simple matter at all. Because we find in the Talmud the question repeated again and again. 
Ezehu ben Olam Haba, who is worthy of the world to come? Once and again, this question is posed, and our sages give various answers, examples of those who undertook a special behavior that merited for them a place in Olam Haba. Now, that's surprising to us, because we wouldn't even ask such a question. To us, it seems so simple. Kol Yisrael, every Frum Jew has a share in the world to come. What's the question already? And yet, if the sages are asking who is worthy of the world to come, we already have reason to suspect that the matter is not as simple as we imagined. The Gemara in tells us a story about a certain Rav Biroka who was standing in a marketplace and he encountered Eliyahu Anavi. It means he had a vision. Giloy Eliyahu is a vision that some of our great men merited. Now it's a special privilege to be able to encounter Eliyahu Anavi. And so Rav Baroka utilized the opportunity to ask him this question. Is there anybody in this marketplace who's a Benoi Lamhabo? Now you understand already that in a marketplace there must have been many Jews, many people who merit Oilam Haba. And yet, that's the question Rav Baroka chose to ask of Eliyahu. Is there someone here who is going to be a resident in the next world? Yes, Eliyahu said to him, I'll show you. And he pointed out a clown who is dancing in the corner of the marketplace, a poor Jew whose business it was to make people laugh. He was dancing up and down for some pennies. That's a Ben Oilam Haba, Eliyahu said. Ben Baroka was quite surprised. A clown? That's the Ben Oilam Haba of the marketplace. And so after Eliyahu departed, Rav Biroka went to investigate. He approached this clown and he asked him for details of his behavior. Tell me something about yourself. He wanted to discover what is there about him that merits Olam Haba. My line of work is to be a comedian, said the man. I dance and sing and make jokes and I try especially to cheer up those who look sad. Now that's not a simple statement. What Rav Baroka discovered was that this clown used to clown in his off hours also. When he was finished clowning for Parnassa, he went clowning for a mitzvah. The clown told him, when I am off from my work and I have spare time, I go around to people who are sad and I jump up and down and make them laugh. Now, I'm not able to tell you exactly what this clown did, but it's certain that it was a program that this man followed not once or twice. It was a system of his that he kept his eyes open as he was performing. And if he saw among the crowd someone who seemed to be not enthusiastic or didn't respond, so he singled him out to give him a special private treatment later. And even though he was tired from dancing and juggling all day long, after hours, he made it his business to visit that person and to perform for him especially to cheer him up. That was his shita. If someone was sad or depressed, he donated his services for nothing. He would visit sick and lonesome people and entertain them. He racked his brain thinking of ways and means to amuse them and make them happy. And that's how he became a Ben Oilam Haba. He received not just a chilek, a portion along with everyone else, but a much higher station in the world that's forever. Another story from the Gemara. It's about a Chacham who left this world for a short time and then came back to give us a report about what he saw there in Olam Haba. 
Now exactly what happened, I cannot tell you. Whether he died and came back to life again, or he was close to death. And while he was close to death, he had a vision of Olam Haba. I can't tell you. The details are not supplied. I suspect that most people who die tend to stay dead. And so I venture to say that it was a vision. But whatever it was, when he returned to the life of this world, when he regained consciousness, they asked him, what did you see? What did you see in the other world? And this sage told them that he was amazed at what he saw there, at the information that was revealed to him. I saw an upside-down world. The upper ones here, the ones who are most important in this world, are at the bottom there. And those who are at the bottom here are on the top in that world. Now, don't get your hopes up now just because you feel you're not much in this world. It doesn't mean that everything is upside down, but it means that we'll be in for some surprises because there are some of the Elyonim in this world who are Lamata there. And there are some Tachtoinim in this world who are Lamala there. And so, we begin to see from these stories an important principle that the way to Olam Haba is not the simple through way we imagine. It's not just a straightforward matter how Olam Haba is conferred upon people. Because if it's possible that such big surprises should take place, clowns who are first in line and Elyonim who are at the bottom, you must say that something is being done by people even today that we don't recognize so easily. But when they come to the world to come, they are going to be given great distinction. In that world, they will be greatly honored for things that they are not honored for now. And therefore, when we talk about the question, who is a Ben Oilam Habo? We're not speaking about fulfilling that which everybody else does. We're talking about being original, doing something unusual. And that's why in our Parsha, we find that Hashem spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, Take from among you a truma to Hashem. Whoever is of willing heart should bring it. It means that after the Machatzit shekel was given by everyone, ensuring for everyone a nominal share in the Mishkan, an additional chance was given to afford everyone a much greater opportunity. Now you can volunteer with your free will and acquire a larger share in this eternal achievement. Whoever is of willing heart should step forward with whatever they're capable of. And many did. Women brought their copper mirrors. It's not easy for a woman to give away her mirror and donated them to the Mishkan. Others came with valuable metals, gold and silver. Those who had been forced to learn metallurgy in Mitzrayim as slaves stepped forward and willingly offered their expertise and time. Those who had become expert weavers came to use talents for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It could be some stayed in their tents. I can't tell you. Could be some were satisfied with the minimum half shekel. But everyone had the opportunity to be an Adiv Leif and gain a greater share in the Mishkan. And these two opportunities to donate to the Mishkan, the half shekel, and the appeal to step forward with more are parallels of all the achievements that a Jew can make in his lifetime.
One level, the minimum, is the obligatory performance of all the mitzvahs. When a Jew performs all of them, he has acquired a share in the eternal mishkan of the afterlife. But those that choose to go beyond the line of duty, these people acquire a greater share in the eternal mishkan of Olam Haba. And that's what matters most when we talk about Olam Haba. We're not interested in the minimum that gives us an ordinary portion in the world to come. That chilek is not enough for us. When we're talking about the eternal mishkan, we're talking about something that's forever. And so we're interested in achieving much more than the minimum. And that brings us to the important question of what's called chasidus. Now, when you hear this word chasidus, don't lose interest because that's the crux of the whole matter. We're not talking about chasidus the way it's spoken about today. Certain groups that teach certain kinds of ideologies. Right now, we're talking about chasidus in the original sense, the way it's used in the Gemara. The sages asked, Ezehu chasid. Who can be truly called a chasid? Hamit chasid im kono. The one who does some kindliness to his creator. Now, at first glance, that doesn't appear to be much of an answer. Because how can you do kindliness to your creator? You can't do a thing for him. What does Hamit Chased Imkono mean? What it means is that you show a special devotion to him, an exceptional loyalty and love by doing more than is required of you. That's what kindliness means. You do more than you have to do because you love that person. And that's what Chasidus means. If you do beyond the line of duty, because you love a Kadosh Baruch Hu, you're a Chosid. The Mesilis Yishadim gives an example. Suppose a father and his son are walking down the street, and the father stops for a moment, and he admires a certain fruit on the fruit stand. He doesn't say anything. He just looks at it. And then he passes on. Now, this son is the kind of son who wants to please his father, and so he doesn't wait for his father to say, Son, buy me this, or I want this. No. He sees that his father's interested in it. So he comes back later and he buys that for his father. That's a truly devoted son. He doesn't wait to be told, but he seeks opportunities to fulfill the desire of his beloved father. And so the Mesilitish Shodim says, a chassid is somebody who, if there's an indication in the Torah that Hashem approves of a certain practice, then he's not satisfied by doing the minimum. Instead, he goes out and adds to it, Oh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is that what you want? You want me to participate with a machasita shekel in building the Mishkan? So I'm going to go out of my way to do even more. That's Chasidus. And that's the heart of the subject that we're talking about. The person who is willing to step over the borderline and do more than he is required. That's the one who is the real candidate for Olam Haba. And so, we're learning now that our station in the next world depends on our willingness of heart to do more. It's not only the more, it's the willingness of heart. It's not merely a quantitative difference. It's a difference in quality because it demonstrates that you love Hashem. When you add to what is required of you, when you're looking for ways to express your devotion to Hashem, it demonstrates that your entire attitude is different. You're demonstrating what's in your mind and a special loyalty, and affection for his creator. And that's the great Maila in being a chosid. The mind of a chosid is an entirely different mind. 
because he loves Hashem. And therefore, he utilizes whatever abilities he has to serve Hashem and to bring him pleasure. There are a lot of things in life. Whether you're a clown or a goldsmith or a weaver or even a quiet woman who is willing to collect copper mirrors for the Mishkan, you'd be surprised how much chasidus there is in life. All our lives, we have to be on guard to add and add and add. That's the best way to serve Hashem. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is able to recognize what's in a man's mind. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has his eye open for these people. And that's why they are the true B'nai O'ilam Haba. Our Chachamim tell us in Makkas that Ba Micha Ve'emidan Al Shalosh Micha the Navi came and he established the Torah on three principles. It means he pointed out for us three foundations on which a person's avoidance Hashem rests. It's related to our subject. So let's listen to what he says. He He tells you, O oh man, what is good? And what does Hashem require of you? But to do mishpat and to love kindliness and to walk secretly with Hashem. Micha. What are these three things? Number one, asos mishpat is what we spoke about in the beginning of tonight's talk. If you're interested in knowing what Hashem wants of you, the first thing is asos mishpat. To fulfill the Torah, it includes all of the dinim, all of the laws between man and man, and all of the laws between man and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's Mishpat. All the minimum obligations that we must fulfill. It's the first step of being a Jew. And it's our ticket to Olam Haba. But that's not enough. A good Jew, if he loves Hashem, he wants to do more. And so the second thing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu requires is Avas Chesed, to love the practice of Chasidis, of going beyond the line of duty. Of course, it means kindliness too. But in general, it means to not be satisfied with the minimum. Instead, you go beyond what the Mishpat requires. That's what kindness is, after all. It's Nidiva's Halev, when a man's heart volunteers to do. It means making use of your free will to add even more, to acquire a greater and more special share of Oilam Haba. And now, the third principle of Micha. If you fell asleep, pay attention now, because this is something new. After Asos Mishpat and Avas Chesed comes Vatsneya Lechet Imelokecha to walk with Hashem in secret. Now, what does it mean to walk in secret? It's an added dimension. It means to do everything without displaying it. Hatsneya Lechet to conceal your good deeds, to do these things privately without ostentation. Let's say if a man wants to give charity. So instead of doing with display, he gives it secretly. Nobody knows about it. Our sages did that. Everybody knows about the story of Mar Ukva in Kusubus, how he gave Sadaka secretly. He used to come and deposit money behind the door so that the poor could take it without knowing who the giver was. That was the policy of Mar Ukva. And once a poor man wanted to discover who it was that was giving him the money, so Mar Ukva fled. He made a quick getaway. And in order to conceal his identity, he entered a furnace. A burning furnace. That's how important it is to conceal your good deeds. As much as possible. 
all good deeds should be done without display. It's like a certain precious stone that has a brilliance only when it's in the dark. When you display it in a cave or in a cellar where the windows are draped over, then this precious stone gives forth a bright light. But when you take it into the street in the sunshine, it loses its brilliance. Now, why can't a mitzvah shine in the daylight too? What is it that makes a mitzvah shine when it's done in secrecy? The answer is that you're thinking about Hashem. The great advantages of Hatznea Lechet is that you do it. Im Elokecha. You're doing it only for Hashem Elokecha and for no ulterior motive. Otherwise, it could very well be that you're doing it for the acclaims of others. Let's say you're in the shul. You're a yeshiva man, or you're a balabayas in the shul, and you're praying now. It's hard to deny that we are encouraged by the fact that people are looking. Of course, we don't do it because of that, but every additional shake gets a little bit of a push from the fact that we have an audience. And I can prove it, because when you're home, let's say you're saying birkas amazon after the meal, you can catch yourself sometimes saying it without so much shaking. And it could be a pretty cold benching too, because there's no audience. Nothing but your poor wife, and you don't feel like showing off so much in her presence. But suppose a stranger happened to be present at your table. Oh, now that's a different story. Because I'm an old hand already, I utilize it. When I have guests at the table, I tell them, I'm glad you're here, because you give me an incentive to bench with more kavana. I let them know. I'm glad to have you here because now I'm saying it better than I usually do. I make use of the audience. But first thing, I give a Mesira Muldah. Don't think that's the way I always bench. Only because you're around, I want to make use of the opportunity and I'm doing it better. That's human nature. You want to impress. Are you thinking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Could be you're thinking about him too. More or less. Usually less. But the people, that's who you are actually performing for. And that's why Hatznea Lechet is so valuable. When you serve Hashem in secret, it's especially prized because it's not merely an improvement on the mitzvah. It's a brand new career of Im Elokecha, of training yourself to be aware of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A career of awareness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's called living and it's a career that's open to everyone. To walk secretly with Hashem is open to everyone. You don't have to be a Talmud Chacham. You don't have to be wealthy or wise. All you need is a desire to become great. And that's why every man and woman, every boy and girl, should take up a program of Hatznea Lechet. Everyone should make up his mind that once a day he's going to do an act of Chesed secretly. Nobody should know about it. I'm not doing it for people to like me, only because I want Hashem to see that I'm serving Him. Did you ever try that? Do it tonight when you get home. When your mother's not looking, wash a dish for her. Wash out a dish, yes. Or when nobody's looking, wash your wife's dish. Do that once in a while when nobody's looking. And don't ever tell anyone. If you think about it, you'll find many ways of helping people secretly, of doing things that they don't know about. Let's say you go to the yeshiva and nobody's around. Put the sephardim back on the shelf before anybody comes in. Or you'll buy, let's say, fragrant soap 
and bring it into the lavatory of the Beis Akanesis or the yeshiva. Put a piece of fragrant soap in the urinal. Yes, it's a big chesed. I know a man who goes into the bathrooms of synagogues and puts bars of soap there. And he goes out and nobody knows who did it. Sometimes he goes into the yeshivas and leaves tissues there on the tables where nobody is looking. Other people go by Sephardim and they deposit them in the ahzat of the yeshivas. There are people like that. Nobody knows about them. Secretly, they are doing mitzvahs. Only Hashem knows. If you think you have nothing to do, so write a nice letter to some person and encourage him without signing your name. An anonymous letter. I do that many times. I write letters to encourage people. I don't sign my name, so they'll think it's somebody important writing to them. They love it. If you want, you can sign your name too. But if you do it secretly, it's a tremendous thing. People can pray for others in secret. No effort is involved and everybody needs prayers. Some need it desperately. So many people, people who can't get married, people who have trouble with Parnassa, people who don't have Shalom bias, people who are ill. When you hear that a friend's child is very sick or that a neighbor or cousin had some mishap, don't just say, Tisk tisk, and move on. Take the name down and pray for that person. Nobody has to know. Stand in a corner somewhere and speak to Hashem. Or find a telephone booth. You can even take the receiver in your hand if you want and pray to Hashem. Make a long distance call to Hashem. Please, Ribana Shalaylam, send it for Shalema to so and so. Besoch, Sha'ar Chole Yisrael. I know a man who carries papers with him that have the names of Choydim. Do that. Carry these papers, and from time to time, look into the papers in Bimas Palel. It's a very important opportunity. It's Gemilas Chasodim, a Chasidis, to be Palel for someone who is sick. And the more you midnadev, leave, to do it, the greater you become. And when it's done, Batsnia, in secret, that's the pinnacle Everything is made especially great when it's done in secret. And so we learn now that there's a ladder to climb to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Of course, a ladder to HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes up very high. But we see now that there are three principles upon which the ladder stands. Number one is the half shekel that everyone participates in. It means all of the obligations that make us into the Am Yisroel. The Yisroel that's included in Kol Yisroel Yesh Lahem Chelek Lo'ilam Abba. But we're not satisfied with that. After all, this world is merely transitory. It's not permanent. Whatever Oilam has as success you achieve is not forever. But whatever you achieve for the next world, that's what counts. And that's why we all want to be Hasidim. That's the second principle. As much as possible, we look for ways and means of going beyond the line of duty. We're not satisfied with just the minimum chilek in this world. And on top of all that, the pinnacle of our service of Hashem is to do it solely for Hashem. Look for opportunities. Not look. Make opportunities to serve Hashem in secret. Your wife and your children should not know. Your husband and parents shouldn't know. That's the special greatness of an Oyved Hashem. To train oneself to become aware of HaKadosh Baruch Hu by doing things in His service that nobody knows about. And if you begin this program and persist, don't become tired and don't scorn the opportunities, then you're going to be surprised 
at the harvest of Shlemis, which will be yours in the years to come. Little by little, you are climbing the ladder of perfection and becoming a Ben Oilam Habel. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. Traveling all three roads. Micha teaches three ways of serving Hashem. Number one, keeping all the requirements of the Torah. Number two, doing extra. And number three, doing things secretly. This week, I will set aside time to work on all these areas. I will spend five minutes each day studying the basic laws of the Torah in Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, or a similar Sefer. Additionally, I will go beyond the call of duty by praying to Hashem for someone else each day. I will do this secretly so that no one but Hashem knows of my devotion to Him.